Reading the Globe summarizes, synthesizes, and criticizes the week's most important and fascinating stories. Here's your host, Michael Washburn. This is Reading the Globe. It's March 30, 2022. I'm Michael Washburn, reporting from New York. Garcetti's confirmation stalls. People might assume that a politician who can get elected mayor of one of the nation's largest cities and win re-election 40 years later is on the way to bigger and better things. Politics is not a game for everyone, and you either know how to play it or you don't. If you do, your ambition and your potential must be largely aligned. In the case of Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti, this is decidedly untrue. Garcetti, a Democrat, won election in 2013 and then again in 2017. As Thomas Buckley details in a March 13 article in California Globe, Garcetti emerged during the 2020 presidential race as a vocal backer of Joe Biden and expected something pretty important in return for his personal and political loyalty to the winning candidate. But the new administration passed over Garcetti for the role of Secretary of Transportation, a decision Buckley suggests may have had something to do with the severity of L.A.'s homeless problem. Garcetti has since emerged as a candidate for the highly important role of ambassador to India. There are few positions quite as crucial to America's role in international affairs as this one, especially in a world likely to be increasingly shaped by U.S.-China rivalry. The role requires an envoy of the most impeccable credentials and the highest integrity. Hence, Iowa Senator Charles Grassley may have made the right decision in calling for a pause in the confirmation process to allow the senator's staff to do a proper investigation of charges that Garcetti turned a blind eye to and lied about the alleged sexual misconduct of a member of his staff named Rick Jacobs. According to Buckley's article, Jacobs stands accused of serious offenses that range from making inappropriate comments to both male and female staffers to physically grabbing people. Garcetti's statements during a Senate hearing last December in response to a question about this alleged misconduct led Naomi Seligman, the mayor's former communications director, to file perjury complaints with law enforcement agencies and government boards, Buckley relates. It remains to be seen what other malfeasance and lies Senator Grassley's staff will uncover. Thanks to Grassley's actions, the question of Garcetti's appointment is likely to come up eventually for a debate on the Senate floor, where Garcetti will not find himself surrounded with sycophants, and some tough questions will come his way. Wallace Slams Fox News There is no love lost between Chris Wallace, the longtime host of Fox News Sunday, and his former employer. After nearly 20 years at Fox News, Wallace has moved over to that outlet's ideological enemy, CNN, where he will host the new CNN Plus streaming platform. An article in the New York Times on March 27, written by Michael N. Grinbaum, 
quotes Wallace, saying that working at Fox News became unsustainable as Wallace, a political centrist, increasingly heard views that he felt crossed the line from conservative opinion that he respected, even if he did not always agree with it, into irresponsible stances on the supposed theft of the 2020 election and the hidden sources of the January 6 unrest in Washington. Wallace's new gig at CNN Plus will be an interview show whose acknowledged influences include such legends as Charlie Rose and Larry King. Grinbaum's article leads with Wallace's statement that, I just no longer felt comfortable with the programming at Fox. That much is not in doubt. But nowhere does the article attempt to explain specific points of disagreement with the stances at Fox News that put Wallace off, such as Tucker Carlson's documentary suggesting that the January 6th disturbance was a false flag operation intended to embarrass Trump supporters. If Wallace has evidence of specific factual misstatements at Fox News, it would be good to hear them explained in proper detail. Based on the evidence we have in this article, his move looks like nothing so much as a late career attention grab intended to signal his woke virtue and seal his permanent dissociation from a political and ideological milieu in which he did not feel at home. Wallace may remind you of no one so much as David Brock, who rose in the 1990s to the highest echelons of conservative commentary as an investigative journalist for the American Spectator before his much-publicized repudiation of the Republican Party and assumption of a new public role as one of the noisiest champions of Hillary Clinton ever to walk the earth. Brock was so unscrupulous that he did not hesitate to smear Bernie Sanders as indifferent to black lives, or compare Sanders to, of all people, British politician Jeremy Corbyn, who did not unequivocally oppose the Brexit, remarks for which Brock made a belated, unconvincing apology. Let's hope Chris Wallace approaches his new gig with pure motives and a modicum of journalistic integrity. Amy Schumer Loves Kirsten Dunst Comedian Amy Schumer has issued a statement attempting to clarify that she meant no real disrespect to Kirsten Dunst, who was at the center of the second most notorious incident at the 94th Oscar ceremony on Sunday, March 27. The most infamous, of course, being Will Smith's physical assault on Chris Rock for having made fun of his wife's hair. The incident provoked by Amy Schumer did not turn physical, but one can see how it easily might have. Schumer approached a couple of chairs on the floor of the event where Dunst sat with Jesse Plemons, her fiancé and co-star, in the somber 2021 Western film The Power of the Dog. She proceeded to call Dunst a seat filler, implying that Dunst is a has-been B-list or C-list talent whom the organizers brought on in a half-hearted and futile attempt to lend some prestige to the event and bump up its attendance numbers. Then, with a facetious question about whether Dunst wanted to get up to use the restroom, Schumer pulled Dunst from her seat and sat down facing Plemons, who reacted with polite disbelief as Schumer engaged in more facetious banter. A March 29 New York Post article by Leah Bitsky 
recounts Schumer's weak attempt to explain away the incident by saying that the event was choreographed. It was supposed to happen, see? And affirming that she loves Kirsten Dunst. The excuse, one can hardly call it an apology, did not appear to go over well or convince many people. Bitsky's article links to a tweet from someone calling herself J-Corps, who points out the irony of Schumer calling Dunst a seat filler when Schumer's moment, as they say, happened way back in 2015. For her part, Dunst is still appearing in some of the most acclaimed and talked-about movies of our time. Even Dunst's roles in relatively low-profile releases, like Lars von Trier's Melancholia, in which she plays a deeply depressed woman on an estate doomed by a rogue planet, and Andrew Jarecki's All Good Things, in which she plays a real woman who is presumed to have been murdered by the late psychopath millionaire Robert Durst, impressed the viewer with her versatility and intelligence. What we have here, then, is clearly a case of the resentment that failure tends to feel for success. Taken with the Will Smith and Chris Rock incident, it is also a symptom of our seemingly irreversible cultural decline. What was once an entertaining and inspiring spectacle that encouraged people to forget about problems and revel in the magic and uplift that the best filmmakers achieve through their craft has turned into a spectacle where the question is which host or guest can outdo everyone else for sheer tasteless boorishness. A Dream Deferred In further Oscars news, Quebec's most famous living filmmaker, Denis Villeneuve, has a good deal to feel proud of at this time. His visually impressive, mega-budget opus, Dune, won awards in no fewer than six categories, including those for visual effects, cinematography, production design, editing, sound, and score. The win in that last category is not surprising, given that the score is the work of legendary composer Hans Zimmer. Some directors would no doubt be awestruck at winning the most coveted award in just one of those categories, let alone six. But for Villeneuve, who started out making low-budget arthouse pictures such as Maelstrom and Polytechnique, before going on to achieve Hollywood stardom as the maker of Prisoners, Arrival, Blade Runner 2049, and now the $165 million Dune, with still more ambitious projects in the works, the ceremony may have been something of a bittersweet occasion. A March 28 article by Brendan Kelly in the Montreal Gazette notes that Dune did not win in the category of Best Picture. And not only did Villeneuve not win the award for Best Director, but he did not even receive a nomination in this category, something that could surely be a letdown at this point in his career where you might think that Villeneuve is at the very top of his game. But Kelly's article says that Villeneuve has not expressed disappointment. On the contrary, he told the newspaper that he does not take a nomination in the category of Best Director for granted, and that, as Villeneuve puts it, not receiving the award is maybe the best thing that could happen to me. Villeneuve goes on to say that being the underdog is the best thing for him as a director. 
I need that hunger to go back in the desert. Awards can be dangerous for the ego. So I need that crazy energy. I need that fire. It's maybe the best thing that could happen to me as an artist, Villeneuve told the Montreal Gazette. Villeneuve's point is not hard to appreciate. Too much recognition, conferred too easily, can lead to complacency and laziness, which are the last things he needs at this point in his career. He is right that awards can be dangerous for the ego. But you know what else can be dangerous? Getting too cozy working in the medium of CGI and letting the visual effects become the movie. Computer-generated visual spectacle is nice, but it rightfully could never take the place of first-rate writing, acting, and, of course, direction, whose original function was to capture the way people occupy space and tell a story with just the right shots and just the right angles at just the right pace. Villeneuve might well take time to reflect on the grinding political correctness in much of his work. Films like Sicario seem almost absurdly bent on sacrificing realism and credibility to the goal of appending traditional social roles. He might also consider the merits of returning to the original art of filmmaking, as the directors of Scandinavia's Dogme 95 movement did, and giving his directorial gifts the space they need to grow. Written and read by Michael Washburn for Audio Hopper. Most podcasts are awful. Most news is noise. You need real news. Narrated. You need Audio Hopper. Human narrations of the most compelling news, culture, and entertainment stories. Audio Hopper. Real news. Narrated. In the App Store.